Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Today I am delighted to be joined by Greta Solomon on Life Beyond the Numbers. Greta, you are so welcome. Thank you, Susan. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm really excited um, about what we're going to talk about. So am I. And Greta and I met on a course and I got to follow her work and I read her book Heart, Sass and Soul that is going to come up throughout this interview for sure because I think it's probably life-changing. It's one of those books that maybe depending on where you are in life it can really help you get under the skin of a couple of things that are happening for you. So we'll talk more about that later but first let's go into the workplace a bit because I also really like what you say about business writing, Greta, and how it should be bold, straightforward and direct when actually a lot of us feel that that's not really appropriate in the workplace and tend to kind of talk around things or use jargon. So how do we communicate better at work? I think the very first thing we need to do is throw away almost everything that you've learned from school and if you went to university throw that away as well people come to me and the first thing they say if they're a native English speaker they'll have hang-ups about their writing I think their writing's not good enough if they have English as a foreign language they'll always say oh my English isn't very good and they'll start to overcompensate um, by using these flowery words this jargon but absolutely everybody has been tainted by this thought that you have to use these very long sentences, that you have to reference everyone else's opinion and bury your own, and that you have to do this academic thing where you build up all your evidence, all your data, everything that's going on, and you lead to the big crescendo at the end. But the problem is that we need to start with the main message and not lead people down this long meandering path to then finally say what you want to say. And even then people find that perhaps they're thinking about office politics. Can they say that and get away with that? What if they put themselves on the line and it's wrong? And people have so many different thoughts and feelings and fears going on that it really is a big unpacking. And that's what I do in my corporate workshops. We're unpacking everything, all the mindset stuff, all the bad habits they've learned. And we're kind of starting again, really, with with, with a blank slate in a way. And so it's really can be very powerful. So when we're talking about business writing, are we talking about everything that goes on, whether it's an email or a report to my boss or something that's going external? 
absolutely everything. So I would, it's the same principles for writing an email, writing a report, writing a memo, writing some kind of giant proposal that's going to tender or going to a client. It's absolutely the same principles that are needed. So what do we do then? We just waffle on. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> rather yeah. than actually say what it is we want or we need. Yeah, the problem is people focus on themselves and what they think they need from the document instead of focusing on their readers. So one of the first things to do is to spend a lot more time planning. So I tell my clients to spend up to 50% of your time actually planning, thinking, preparing, looking at your readers. Who are they? What do they want? What do you want them to think, feel, say and do after they've read your document? What's the most important thing to include? Are they interested in your document in the first place? And we think everyone's interested in what we have to say and they, they maybe do not care less and we have to work really hard then to get their interest. So it's all about really getting out of that really stressful beta energy and taking yourself off somewhere really calm, getting a pad of paper, getting a pencil and slowing down, like slowing down your brain waves. And the kind of act of like using a pencil on the page accesses a different part of the brain. So then you can actually get in a more creative zone and actually really think about what you want to say. And even just doing that makes a massive difference. Mm. So let's say I'm in an office and I'm sending 60 emails a day and never getting my message through, or that's what it seems like, or nobody's reading on the other side. What can I do to start thinking about this in a different way? I think the first thing is to think about your title, so your subject, and to make that super snappy about what the main message of the email is like what do you want do you want a response from this is this just something for them to read and then just for their information do you want to ask a question if you can give the other person the main piece of information in the subject heading and in the first line then it doesn't matter if they don't read the rest or it doesn't matter if it's not perfectly written or anything you've got your message across it always comes back to the message and thinking about that first. I like what you say there about perfectly written, because I guess that's what a lot of us tend to go for, the perfectly written without the message almost. Yeah, they really do. And you know, it's funny, I used to be a journalist and there was one commissioning editor and it was really funny because when she would commission me to write something, the email would be full of typos. She'd barely write the words. You could see that she'd written it in a mad scram in, you know, 30 seconds. And I, th and I thought at the time, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is so unprofessional. But then in the end, I quite really admired it at the same time because I thought she's a super commissioning editor because she's getting her message across. I don't recommend that you don't spell and you have typos everywhere, but she was doing the work that needed to be done without all that fear of um, what I call grammar shaming, which is where you have had people in the past who only focus on your spelling or your syntax or the technical aspects of your writing and it totally ignore the meaning and it can block you and then make you want to do this long flowery writing. And she went to the other extreme, which of course isn't um, recommended, but it's kind of quite admirable at the same time. We need to get that middle ground where we're not, worrying too much about what other people think and we're getting our message across 
So let's say there's a typo that you've missed or whatever, and it's not perfect and you haven't wasted a lot of time making it perfect. But then somebody comes back and says, oh, please do a spell checker. You also have to balance, I guess, with the other personalities around. Yeah, you know, it's it's really it's really tricky. I was thinking about this this morning, actually. That's kind of like a, a power play that people, and it solely is a power play to it. And it's just exactly what I mean with the grammar shaming, to ignore every great thing you've written and think about the one typo and use that to shame you. It, it's a shaming episode that happens. Yeah, and we control. Yes, exactly. And we have to separate that from the writing, in a sense. And to give another anecdote, once I had a a job in a consultancy, working in communications, sitting next to another communications um, manager, and sometimes she would stand up in the office and she would say very loudly, there's a typo in this, and referencing my work that she was editing. It was just horrific. And she would do that. And and I could see that's a power play because, of course, there's a typo. When you're a professional writer, there are typos, there are errors, which is why you do like three rounds of editing. You know that the first one is just your creative draft. You're just getting your thoughts out. And people will try and shame you about that creative process. And so you have to work through that internally. That's the only way you can deal with this is to think, why is that person shaming me? What did they do? How did it affect me? How can I work through this? How can I understand that I'm doing a creative process? Of course, there's errors. And when you make peace with it yourself, you just begin to react in a different way to these people. Perhaps you just ignore it. Perhaps you have a good comeback, but you don't let it affect you. And it's this deeper inner work that you have to do that you don't even think you need to do. Oh, and I think the probably for... I'm generalizing, but for a lot of us would feel, oh my God, now I have to be extra vigilant about how I send that email in future or write that report because I, well, I don't want that happening. Yeah, but that's the total opposite because then you go back to all the bad habits, you stifle your creativity and what you write is probably really dull and ineffective and it makes you more scared next time to express your ideas so it's this real fine line and I and I sort of tell to everybody I have this uh, model I use the communication pyramid and at the top is the mind then we have the body so the mind is all this grammar stuff the spelling stuff all the stuff that we're so scared about and then we have the body which is all our communication techniques our how-to and then we have the heart space which is the, the, the particular words we use like our creative words And then we go down to the soul and the voice. And we have to understand that we can go down through these layers and not worry so much about the mind stuff. Uh, That's why I never teach grammar. We don't need grammar. We use spell checkers on Microsoft Word or whatever you're using. That comes later in the process. Absolutely. We hear a lot about bringing your true self into the workplace or your full self or being yourself at work. And part of that is being able to express yourself yeah, and express yourself as, as you. Yes, definitely. And I'm not sure that's something many of us know how to do either. No, I think we've been historically taught that we're not welcome at work. And that's been the way for a long time. I mean, I'm, you know, 44 now, so certainly the mentality I grew up in was that you have your work self and you have your private self and you detach the two. 
and you work in whatever that job is, but you don't bring yourself to work. And it's changing now, younger generations totally bringing themselves to work, but we don't know how to do that really. And I think that affects the way we write and it affects the way we communicate. We think we can't be informal and we think we have to put on this voice, you know, it's kind of like the Shakespearean voice almost. Some people put on this um, persona that is just not them. But they think, oh, that's my work persona. I'm wearing my suit now. That's how I am. And of course, that's changing with the pandemic and Zooming and everything. Some people are not wearing their business suits now. We're not really doing that. But it's, it's a really tricky balance, I think. It is. I agree. And I'm of a similar vintage, a little bit older. But it was definitely the way. And I think I would say we rebelled against that a little bit when we started work, but I went into the accountancy profession and it was very much batted back. And by the time you came out through those doors, you were a professional and everything else went into the background. And I guess I cut myself off from a lot of my other intelligence and it was very much about the mind and professionalism and then that does impact your writing because you sound like a robot yes exactly you you you're losing your sense of self and I think the only reason why I was able to go into a creative career well, not the only reason but I studied psychology and went into journalism about sort of six months after graduating but I think it was my naivety I think because I didn't understand I was supposed to put on a false self at work I didn't really click with that at the time and in the space between graduating and then getting my first job I was going for all these interviews I was I signed up with an agency and she'd sent me to loads of different interviews for different jobs and there was one in an investment bank I was supposed to be interviewing for some kind of assistant that would lead to a banking role we had this interview and it went fine and we were talking and I thought oh, this is fine um and then he looked at me really directly and said, this is what your life is going to be like when you're here. You're going to be working till like 9, 10 at night, every night. You're going to be really in a very intense, very highly pressured environment, but it's okay. We have a pharmacist on site. We have all of these amenities. We have a place where you can get food. So, so it's absolutely fine. And he painted this vivid imagery for me of what my life was now going to be like if I got this job. And he said, oh, so what do you think then? And then I was like, that, that just sounds awful. I, that's not somewhere I want to work. And I remember he was horrified and sort of shocked and sort of and curious at the same time. And he didn't know what to say, actually. And he just sort of, you know, the interview closed. And the agency that had got me this interview, she was fuming. She was absolutely furious and said, never, ever let yourself go like that again. Never, ever do that again. Agree to everything they say and say you're perfectly happy with everything. And it was a massive learning because I thought, why do I have to fake it? Why do I have to pretend I'm okay? And I think that point comes to many of us at some point. It came to me really early. I mean, I was like 21. It came super early that I'm not going to fake it at work. But we all reach that point where we're, we're so fed up of not being ourselves that we just can't take it anymore. And I think people burn out and they have a major imposter syndrome sort of attack or something. It makes them break down that false barrier that they were forced to put in place in order to survive, to make money, earn some kind of a living. 
Yeah, and I actually read an article just at the weekend, I saw it on Twitter, and it was called Our Disconnected Lives. And it was really about that. What about the girl who goes to, to college, becomes a lawyer, but really loves farm animals? And 20 years later, this kind of crisis happens. And there's a few examples like that. And yeah, there are a lot, a lot of us who live disconnected lives, disconnected from our expressive side as well. And, Definitely. And on that then as well, there's this Apple TV program called Severance where when you go into work, they into this company, they actually inject something into you so that once you get in the lift to go down to the basement where the work is, you forget your personal life. Wow. And then when you Gosh. get back in the lift to go back up at night, you forget your work life. And it is such a, I mean, it's fantastic because it is such an exaggeration for effect but actually, many of us kind of, you know, I suppose, struggle with how do these two worlds meet? And like you say, never the twain shall meet. Well, you didn't say that exactly, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that programme sounds amazing. It's so interesting. It's awful as well. It's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a brilliant way to look at how ridiculous this personal professional split is and I think also if you've ever been in a kind of toxic work environment which I think very many people have been I think that's also a call that's waking you up to say who you are needs to be present either in that situation to rise up and stand up and be more who you are or out of that situation and to be more creative. And I think if you are in a toxic work situation, it is a call to ask yourself, what do I really want to do? Who am I really? What about those farm animals? And I think we miss that. I think people get pushed down and bogged down and thinking there's something wrong with them. Why does no one like their ideas? Why are they not progressing? Why did that other person get the thing when they're more skilled and they have more talents or whatever it is? Because it's never fair in these kind of systems. So it, it is a call to, as I'm a writing teacher, to take out your journal and find quiet moments at lunchtime, to find quiet moments in the morning when you're on the way to work, if you still work in an office, and to just up, begin to question and, and go within and a path comes, the path will always come. The more you go within, the outer path comes, it always uh, that, does. That's lovely. And uh, I can agree with you as well. And I think though, there's that struggle of starting. Like a lot of people I know say, not journaling doesn't work for me. I, I was probably one of those for a while. I can't write. Uh, my handwriting is terrible. We have so yeah. many excuses or not excuses isn't fair either, but so many hang ups about writing, something that we do every single day, probably all of us. So how does someone start to just take that very first step and go, do you know what, I'm going to give this a go? I think you really have to lower the bar. So not buy yourself a fancy journal, buy a really cheap notebook from Tesco. You really have to just say, I'm gonna scribble in this notebook. I'm barely gonna have illegible or legible rather writing. When I journal, half of it, it can't even read. It's not that I have to read it. I just have to express it and get it down. Buy something that maybe the eight-year-old you would have loved. Buy something silly or, or buy some colored pencils and just think that 
anything you put down is writing and you don't even have to write. I recommend as well writing in your smartphone while you're walking. I absolutely love doing that because if you are stuck and blocked, the rhythm of moving your feet while you're walking in the park or around the shops, things bubble up, especially if you've created an intention. If you think I'm going to walk around the shops and I'm going to think about this challenge I have, things will bubble up and just note them down in your smartphone. And that's journaling. You've started to journal. And I think the other thing that's um, heavily um, in heart, sass and soul is the object writing. That's the fastest way to get yourself writing. And it's so simple. The best way, I think, to start with a piece of fruit, a plum, a pear, um, a peach, whatever you want to start with. And see what you can taste, smell, see, hear, touch, feel about this piece of fruit. Um, and think about the movement, the movement of you eating it, the movement of any kind of movement that have it moved in the tree and you just keep your hand moving, focusing on those senses for either 90 seconds, five minutes or 10 minutes. And you don't stop to cross out spelling mistakes. You don't stop to correct anything. You just focus on your senses. I see this, I feel this. If you move away from the object and you start thinking about your grandfather, you start thinking about a memory of a holiday, you go there and you find that you've written freely. Every single person who does this exercise will write freely. And then you've journaled and then you've freed up that creative energy, which you can then use to then think about other things, to write about other things, to think about more pressing situations. And it's, it's completely magical to do this on a regular basis. So somebody said to me recently, why would I need to put it down in paper if it's in my head? Oh, such a good question. Isn't it? Oh my gosh. Because to me, it's like, um, I'm so much a writer. It's like, well, of course, where else would you put it? But like, the reason is that when it's on paper, it's real, it's tangible, and it lives somewhere outside of your head. And that's really powerful because things in your head get distorted. They get distorted by past memories. They get distorted by other thoughts, by other feelings. And they never, you never quite ground them down. The sort of way to be more powerful and creative is to ground yourself, not be in your head. And writing is grounding. You're literally grinding out marks on a piece of paper. You're pulling the energy into yourself and onto the desk. That's what it is. It's very much energetic and I making never it real. I've thought about it like that before, that it's it's grounding, that it's it is. connecting. Yeah, you're a part of you to something else. And yeah, that's kind of cool. But the senses, Greta, because in Heart, Sass and Soul, there is a lot about seven senses. And many people might go, we only have five. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a good point, Susan. <laughs> So, yeah, I can explain this. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we have like our sixth sense as well, don't we? We are intuition. Um, so the object writing is taken from songwriting. This is invented by Pat Pattinson. He was legendary professor at Berklee College of Music. And um, I studied with his course for a year. And so, yes, the seven senses are because the feeling and the moving, they just open you up. So this basically this object writing is designed to help songwriters get raw material for their songs and it's literally what the songwriters use in Nashville especially in the sort of country music genre so they take like a whiskey bottle or something and they use these seven senses and how they feel and how they mean the movement and they write a whole you know a whole blues um, or country song about it so I think what Pat Pattinson does is just he's just opening up your entire 
bodily system with these extra senses because they do exist we are feeling is the sense that we forget about the most unless you're a deeply feeling person but we're not taught to feel we're not taught to think about our bodily movement what's going on inside us what are we actually feeling and then people just kind of chalk that down to anxiety if there's feeling there there's movement that's what you're experiencing you want to get that out into creativity so that's why we're using these seven senses we're bypassing the anxiety which if you don't that just leads to the chattering in your head which stops you from writing so it all kind of links in together I suppose it's it's getting in touch then Greta with what is going on inside because let's just say your heart speeds up and you just maybe jump to the conclusion that that means anxiety when actually it might be speeding up because it's so happy that you've picked this object to write about exactly and when you just focus on yeah that feeling and that movement and you displace that onto the object yes you're transmuting it it's it's about transmuting a feeling into creativity so it lives in another realm now it doesn't live in anxiety or stress or depression or or shame or it lives in creativity and that's an energy now a new energy and that's so so powerful I've mentioned already my background is in accounting and you know for many people in accounting or let's say law or sciences they're all going to say well there's no place for feelings you know, I'm logical, I'm rational, and that is what my writing has to be. Yeah, and I think it's ironic, because when you said that, the first thing I thought was, you know, art and science are kind of the same. They come around in a full circle. If you go all the way in science and all the way in art, and maths too, all the way in maths, you come to music. You come to the tones, the harmonies, the melodic phrasing. That's maths. Musical theory is mathematical theory. So that's really interesting. And also, there's no place for feeling. You know, when I got my first accountant, the reason I chose my accountant was because he understood creative people. I, I tried to find an accountant. And the first accountant I tried to find, he told me I wasn't allowed to have these multiple streams of income. I had to have one job and I had to put it through like this. And then one day I was at a party, like a film party, and I, I don't know, we were talking about accountants, and someone said, there's this one firm in Manchester, they only work with creatives. And so that accountant was amazingly creative, totally understood me, never judged me, and I got a great service for years working with this accountant. So I think we have to think that everybody has feelings, and we're connecting with the person first, and that person might actually want you to just be human while you're doing the numbers for them. And that would be great. So you get to be in your zone, feeling great doing the numbers, and they get to feel that you actually care about them or that you have a heart-to-heart connection. It sounds kind of like a bit dramatic. Why do we need a heart-to-heart connection? But without that, we're losing the spice of life. You'd rather have a friendly accountant who likes you, cares about your numbers. So I think it, it really is important for everybody. And also you can put that feeling into your writing and you will stand out you don't have to write in this old stodgy kind of formal way because really if you think about accounting that word is to give an account of which is storytelling yes and so you you're using the numbers to tell a story and if you can't tell a story with those numbers then you're never going to bring them to life for people. 
and it's always going to be an us and them. So I do think there's huge room for creativity because we all have it in us. Definitely. And I did work with um, a financial client at some point and she said exactly what you said. I've learned to that even in finance, you can still have a story. And especially if you're working in the business world and you have to, like you say, present your numbers to the board, present your numbers to someone you want to sell to. It is about the story. It reminds me of Brene Brown. Stories are data with soul. That's she right. Says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It yeah. is all about the story. But I think also not to sort of get too hung up on the story bit because it doesn't mean you have to be a storyteller or tell stories. You just have to put some humanity in. You just have to share something about the meaning. And you find that meaning through being more creative in your own practices, I think. You learn what meaning is. What does this mean? Why is it important? It comes from practice. Mm. And then I I read an article that you wrote and it was pre-pandemic, but you talked about creativity being the missing piece in the wellness puzzle. And we talked about divided lives and we've talked about disconnected lives or severance and all of that. Is that piece, that creativity piece, ignored by many of us do we not believe we're creative I think it is ignored I think it sort of sits out in a silo when it needs to be integrated so I think people think for wellness they have to do breathing or perhaps they have to do some aromatherapy or they have to go and have a treatment you know things like they go to the spa perhaps do some therapy even I think they they put that in over here and they put the creativity bit way on the other side. And they don't think they're creative because they've been told they're not for many years at school. But throughout school, we lose our creativity so badly that you know 90% of people by a certain age just are not creative and most five-year-olds are. So I think that it is the missing piece because in days gone by, we healed through shamanic methods. We healed through metaphor, through art, through storytelling, through writing. And then with the birth of all the psychological sciences, we thought we had to go to a place and get help from somebody else and try and sort through whatever problems you have. And I think we've forgotten that we have this enormous ability to heal ourselves through connecting to our own creative energy and using that to transmute what we feel. It's definitely a massively underlooked part of life. It just sounds so simple when you say it like that as well. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. But we all have that ability. We, we don't have to talk. <laughs> Maybe some people would express themselves better with art than with words or with cooking or whatever it might be. But there's a creativity inside of each of us that, that helps us be more whole. 100%. Yeah, I love that you said we don't have to talk. Yeah, so much. Because many people have lost their ability to speak authentically so then talking is they don't realize it but it's not quite what they want to say they're not saying what they want to say and this is why in like my model the communication pyramid the voice is right at the bottom because that's the last thing we're uncovering so yeah totally if people could intentionally cook intentionally bake intentionally sew and garden and, and walk and play with their kids or play with you know football I mean, I don't say that football's creative, but whatever you're doing, if you're infusing it with this 
energy that and I'm joy. going to put my feeling into it. Yeah, joy. I'm going to cultivate something here. This is a practice. I'm doing this for a reason. Um, and then it just, that grows, that, that sense of I'm a creative person. I do creative things. I live a creative life. And that's, it, it spirals into huge things. You know, I think you said earlier about getting started in journaling. If your life is this hubbub of creativity and passion and you know, really feeling uh, deeply about whatever it is you're doing, that spills over. You, you, it will spill over into your journaling. So it's all really one thing. I know in the book, I have so many disparate things that I weave together because it is really so holistic. It's not about sitting at your desk with a quill pen. No, I mean, you encourage us to go outside and and write outside or whatever as well. Like you talked about the walking earlier. And I guess there's a huge part of being in nature then as well that is going to open that creativity up. It's huge. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm like a new sort of adoptee of nature because I've always grown up in cities and finally understand the nature thing. Yeah. It's not that you have to like nature or appreciate nature you just have to be in nature and it will change how you feel about yourself and I think we don't realize that I think I think it's very underrated being in nature I grew up by the sea and if I don't get to the sea on a regular basis because now I live nowhere near the sea I feel that like it's it's almost starts calling me because I I really begin to miss it and its energy and I suppose it's inspiration. Yeah, it is an inspiration. Yeah, it's about tapping into whatever can get you in that inspirational state. That's what it is every day doing something every single day walking every day. I mean, these are simple things that you can do. And if you, you can't walk, you can you can cycle you if you're in a wheelchair you 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 go out and you move it's this movement and this regular rhythm of having creative practices mm. that are really small like the object work you could do 90 seconds a day it's tiny and it's just thinking this is important i'm going to do this and i'm going to enjoy this absolutely and the other thing then that I love when people like introduce me to a new way of thinking about something because you talked about gratitude in a way that it isn't, I suppose, the answer to everything. And I'm not saying it ever was, but I like what you say about gratitude. Maybe you could tell us. Yeah, definitely. So I think when gratitude is misplaced, it can actually be very harmful. So gratitude in itself is so, so powerful. And um, scientifically, it has all these benefits, opens the heart space, reduces anxiety, connects you to yourself and the world. It's absolutely fantastic. But in this article, I tell this story of how when I was young, um, I must have been, I don't know, 12, no, maybe 14. And I went with my school friends to um, see Madonna. (laughs) It's a really long time ago. Madonna at Wembley Stadium. so long ago and I used to play music at that time so I'd gone to music school in the morning so I was tired from going to that I was wearing one of these velvet bodies you know those really tight so I was kind of hot and bothered trying to look cool for Madonna concert anyway I fainted we were right near the front so I mean everyone's pushing and shoving I fainted had to be pulled out and my friends didn't come to get me and I managed somehow to find them again. And they were like, oh, my God, you're here. And, oh, it was great. And what happened to you? And it was, it was kind of like they weren't concerned about my welfare. 
And so my friend's mum picked us up and my friend said to her mum, oh, Greta fainted at the concert. And the, their mum was furious, absolutely furious with them because it was two sisters that I had gone with. And she said, never, ever do that to your friend again. You have one friend. You can see Madonna anytime. Your friend is more important. You should look out for your friend. And she was so angry at them for not having taken care of me. The story I tell about gratitude, because I could have gone home that night and thought, oh, I saw Madonna today. Had a great time. My friend's mum picked us up. Wasn't it good? Aren't I lucky? I live so near to Wembley Stadium, blah, blah, blah. But I'd be ignoring the massive red elephant that my friends didn't come to get me. They, you know, I'd be ignoring that hurt, basically, ignoring my emotional feeling. And this is a long story to say that that is what we do with gratitude when we just do it blindly. Each day we say, oh, I'm so grateful for my house, grateful for my car, grateful for this job. But what if you're ignoring the fact that your boss um, bullied and belittled you that day? What, what if the neighbour was really rude to you? you? You can really ignore key massive screaming red flags in your life with this real need to be grateful. And um, it's what people call spiritual bypassing, where you're trying to be a good person. You're trying to um, be somebody who is grateful and happy and joyous, but you're not doing it in an authentic way. And it can be so, so damaging, not only to yourself, but others. Because if you lose touch with your feeling, you, you lose the ability to have empathy for other people's feelings as well. So it doesn't help anybody really. So yeah that's my take on gratitude that it comes with a warning I think and I think that's a really powerful point actually Greta because perhaps it's also the upbringing or the generation we come from but it was kind of like you should be happy with what you've got and you're happy yes. with your lot and I can easily see that translating into a gratitude list and kind of going well at least I've got this to be grateful for and having yes. this awful life somewhere else yeah, it's the at least, yeah. And I see this all over social media, actually. I see people saying, oh, I can't complain. Those people over there have it so much worse. And I have all of this. But I think what people are missing is the world does not need your misery to help it along. You know, <laughs> you feeling awful, but pretending you don't, that's not helping those people over there who feel awful. You can get yourself in an authentic state then you change the world, then you help from a balanced whole place. And, that, and that's what we need to, to get out. That is absolutely so true. And we talked about toxic workplaces earlier on or, and just now as well. But, but by tolerating stuff that you wouldn't expect someone else to, or yeah. you would tell other people not to come and work there or whatever, you're doing yourself a disservice, but you're also it's a ripple effect because the elephant in the room is not getting addressed. Yeah, we think that we're tolerating it, but we're not. It's causing huge damage with, with a thin sort of curtain on top. And I think that's the way to look at it. Every single day, there's an erosion being done. There's an erasure, there's a damage. It's like kind of like on the, in the sea, we talked about the sea earlier, and the sea is wearing down the rocks every day. That environment is like the sea. It's wearing you down, wearing you down, wearing you down. And seeing you're a tiny pebble, you were a huge rock when you started. So, you know, you tolerated that, but you didn't really, because now you're smaller and smaller and smaller. And I mean, that, yeah, you might not find your way back. Yeah, it's very difficult to find your way back. So you have to then not erode anymore. And that's what, why the journaling is so important. 
because in these toxic situations often there's a lot of um there's gaslighting there's people pretending that things happen when they didn't sort of skip it's very murky it's not never clear you don't quite know where you stand so you have to know where you stand in in your personal writing and you have to like with your friend who said why do i need to write it down it's so that you can write it down have a look again as well and check oh that did happen they said it didn't happen oh i wasn't late for that meeting um, that meeting was scheduled at that time. And I think these things are more common. I think these kind of murky environments are very common. And so we have to keep ourselves clear by trying to have clarity in our own minds. It, it's, yeah, that's the only way we can actually handle that situation and get out of it. And then, of course, the, I suppose the irony of the whole thing is in that organisation, they want you to be innovative and creative. <gasps> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's that's that is the a hundred percent irony. Like, where's your creativity? Weren't you creative today? <laughs> and, and of course you can't be. You're so stressed and, and anxious. You probably can't do anything. And this is the danger because creativity needs calm. It needs, well, not exactly complete calm. I love that quote by Nietzsche where he says, You must still have chaos in yourself to give birth to a dancing star like my favorite quote so that chaos some chaos is really good but you need space to be creative you can't have somebody breathing down your neck saying where's your piece of creative work where is it like when it five minutes ago you you can't do that and so then Greta what I'm concluding is it comes down to you taking responsibility for you because no one else will yes And it's no good to blame and say, well, the workplace was this or I'm not that or whatever. It's actually about sitting down and really figuring out who am I and what do I want? Exactly. Exactly. This is the only way to move forward. Mm. And having that journal, like a scrappy, I love it, you know, buy your scrappy whatever for (laughs) one that you liked as a kid with Spider-Man on it or whatever it might be and just start to write to yourself because it's not for anyone else either yeah start to write everything is writing a list yeah checklist a word yeah yeah checklist a shopping list everything it's so about lowering the bar until you find you're in the flow one day there you are you filled out you know half the book and then things are really moving and really so you exciting might, you might be the next Greta Solomon I was going to say JK Rowling and I thought oh. I can't do that <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so nobody can obviously see this but I'm holding up a copy of heart sass and soul journal your way to inspiration and happiness and I'm going to put that in the show notes and it says at the back discover and recover who you are and that's a really nice way of saying it and you know it might be something you read now and pick up again in a couple of years when you need it it might really speak to you now and I guess different people speak to different people so I would say check out Greta's website and check out Greta. Greta how does somebody connect with you then if they'd like to know more? So I think definitely on my website gretasolomon.com I'm a bit less on social media these days but do come and find me on LinkedIn or Instagram and yeah I mean send a message if I, I love talking to people so yeah send a message email me I'd, I'd love to hear from you brilliant well thank you so much for your time and your 
openness and it was great I loved where the, our conversation went and I hope you'll come back again someday thank you so much it's been such a pleasure I've loved it great thank you for listening today and if you enjoyed this episode please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.